And today we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 28. It's not a particularly long psalm. It's not a very well-known psalm. But it's a good psalm. So let's give our attention now to Psalm 28. I'll read the text and then bring the message from this beautiful section of Scripture. So Psalm 28. This is the psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is still in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, hear us, we pray. Don't be deaf to us as we approach you right now. We come to you and we want to ask sincerely that you would speak. And as we're in the midst of, um, as we're in the midst of trial, we pray that you'd give to us trust, and we pray that you would remind us that you, God, you hear, and you, God, you protect. So hear us and protect us now. Let these words come alive to us. Give us, give us attentiveness. Help us to be able to hear and receive what it is that you're saying. We pray all of this asking that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you'd make it fall to the ground and pass away, and that you'd make everything that is from you remain. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something that happens to me pretty often when I'm having a meal with other people. Just before the meal is about to start, people will turn to me and be like, well, pastor, will you say the prayer before the meal begins? If you've ever done that, I'm, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm not upset that that happens. It doesn't bother me. I, I expect it. I'm happy to pray. And I do pray unless there's an older, more experienced minister around, in which case I kind of just turn things over to that minister. So I could be like, well, Dan Rhoda is here. I think we should have him pray because he is really the eldest minister who is here. And I guess if I examine my own feelings about why I want an older minister to offer the prayer, I think there are many things that are at play in all of that. I, I think sometimes it's because I'm worried I'm going to say the wrong words, or I won't be as good at it as he is. Or maybe I think that God is more interested in listening to him pray than he would be in listening to me pray. 
I don't know how you feel whenever you're around a minister. I just want to let you know we are not judging your prayers. We're very happy to just have anyone in the household pray at the beginning of the meal. And we're not like taking notes to see if there was any theological or biblical slip up in the course of the prayer. Don't be afraid to pray around me. But if you're afraid that you can't do it right, or if you're afraid that God won't hear you when you pray, then Psalm 28 is a psalm for you. Psalm 28 is poetic and beautiful. It is poetry, after all. But the message of the psalm is really simple. God hears and God protects. And if you're ever someone who wonders, does God hear me? If you ever worry that God isn't listening to you, then this is a psalm for you. God hears and God protects. Seriously, take a look at the message of the psalm here. And you can realize that, that anybody could offer up this prayer that the psalmist offers in Psalm 25. Let me simplify it. Let me simplify the message of the psalm so that you know how easy it is to pray in line with what it is that the psalms say. If I were to simplify what it is that the psalm is saying, I would say this. God, please hear me because things are really, really bad if you don't hear me. But I know you do hear me. And you protect me. And you save me. Please hold on to us. That's a prayer that's simple enough for anyone, right? If there, if there are people in your household who are very young, they could pray this prayer. If there are people in your household that are very old, they could pray this prayer. If you are a kid, you could pray this prayer. God, please hear me. Things are really bad if you don't hear me, but I know you hear me. So here are the points as we take a look at this uh, section of Scripture. These are the points this morning. First, God, please hear me. Second, because things are really, really bad if you don't. Three, but I know you do. Those are the three points of the sermon. God, please hear me because things are really bad if you don't, but I know you do. So first, God, please hear me. Again, this is a poem. And so the language is evocative and descriptive and beautiful and exalted. But the message is really simple. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Lord, please hear me. That's the beginning part of the prayer. It's a simple and a beautiful prayer that's lifted up to God. God, please hear me. And the prayer is directed to the Lord. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. I really like the poetic interplay there, right? A rock would seem to be deaf, but God is not, sort of, not the sort of rock that is unhearing. God is a rock who hears. God is a rock who hears. I love when the Psalms talk about the fact that the Lord is our rock. It's such a helpful metaphor for thinking about God. The Lord is often referred to as our rock. God is not shifting like sand. He's firm and stable like a rock. The Lord is not changeable like the weather in Illinois. He is firm and constant and reliable. God isn't squishy like a human being. God is solid like a rock. And this firm and consistent and solid God is the one that the psalmist cries out to. God, please hear me. And the request of the Lord here, David, who wrote the song, is the request of the person who prays this psalm or who sings this psalm. And the request, please hear me, is stated negatively in verse 1. First, be not deaf to me. And then in verse 2, please hear me. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. 
David, as he writes this, and you and I, as we sing this or pray this, we want God to hear us, and we want it passionately. And you can tell that this is an impassioned plea that comes from the psalm writer David. You can tell it because of the fact that he repeats this request that God would hear him. You can tell it because of the words that he uses. He talks about the fact that he is crying out for help, that he's offering up pleas for mercy. And you can tell it by the way that his body is used in the course of this prayer. He says, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Once I was talking uh, to a group of elders at a Christian Reformed church. They said that they didn't allow hand-raising in their church. And I was talking to one of the elders, a man that I've only spoken to in this one occasion, but I I loved him. He seemed like a very pious man. And he said, we don't allow hand-raising in church because Uzzah raised his hands to the ark and the Lord struck him dead. It's not respectful to raise your hands to the Lord, is what this particular elder said. But Uzzah wasn't raising his hands to worship the Lord or to pray to the Lord. Here David is. And like I said, I, I've only spoken to this elder one time. I, I love him. I'm thankful that he serves. I'm sure he serves faithfully in a congregation that none of you know about except me, and it's my secret. I'm not going to tell you what congregation this is, but it is an attitude that sometimes people have, right? That if we're approaching God, reverence seems to indicate that we kind of, uh, I don't know, fold in on ourselves. But that's not the way that David reverently and expectantly prays here in Psalm 28. He says that he lifts up his hands to the holy sanctuary of the Lord. The whole body of David is used in the course of this prayer. And if you were ever wishing that you could raise hands in worship or raise hands in prayer, but you feel like maybe that's not the right thing to do, Psalm 28 gives you the permission to make use of your body. It's not telling you that you have to pray like this, right? It's not saying that you have to pray every time you pray like this, but it is saying that you can pray like this and that your body can be a reflection of the cry that you're offering up to the Lord God. And here, David's body reflects how passionately he's praying. He's reaching his hands out to the temple of the Lord. He's reaching out because he wants for the Lord to hear him. He wants for the Lord to grasp his hand. He wants for the Lord to grant the request that David is asking. And so with eager anticipation and expectation, like a child reaching for their dad, David reaches up for the Lord and says, please, please don't be deaf. Please hear me, Lord, when I'm praying to you. And the simplicity of the prayer continues. God, if you're you're silent to me, I'm going to be like those that go down to the pit. The pit, of course, is the place of death. And the deepest parts of the pit are places for those who are wicked, who are workers of evil. And David expands his prayer in the second section here. He he extrapolates on his first point. He builds on what's said in verse 1. If you're silent to me, God, I'll be like those who go down to the pit. God, hear me, because it is really, really bad if you don't hear me. You see, if God doesn't listen, and this is the second point here, if God is deaf to David's prayer, if God won't hear it, If God doesn't hear our prayer, then we go down to the pit. We get dragged off with the wicked and the workers of evil. And David does not want that. 
You know that you and I should avoid evil, right? You, and I, you know that you and I should avoid sin, right? Why? Why should we avoid sin and evil? I think that there's this idea that's out there. It's maybe implicit in some people's hearts. It's sometimes explicitly stated that we should avoid sin, but that really God is kind of ruining our fun by telling us to avoid sin. That God is, I don't know, mean, and uh, it's kind of frowning up there. It's just like, no fun for you. That's why you've got to avoid sin. For me, the clearest expression of that is always Billy Joel's Only the Good Die Young. And uh, here's one section. They say there's a heaven for those... I'm not going to sing it for you, but I will read it for you. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. The sinners are much more fun. It says it very clearly, right? in the pre-chorus there, and only the good die young. Billy Joel's saying you can avoid sin, and you can wait, and you can cry, and you can get to heaven, but none of that is as good as just experiencing sin right now because it's more fun. But let me tell you this. In Psalm 28, God doesn't tell us to avoid sin because sin is fun and God is mean. God tells us to avoid sin because sin is death and God is good. I like the sound of that, so let me repeat that. God, in Psalm 28 here, does not tell us to avoid sin because sin is fun and God is mean. God tells us to avoid sin because sin is death and God is good. Sin is, make, is what makes one go down to the pit. You know that there was no death before there was sin, right? You know that death is sin's best friend, right? You know that they always travel together, and at the very beginning, when sin entered the world, death came right along with because they are best friends. Sin brings death. And that's not the only reason to avoid sin. You should avoid sin because, I mean, look at the type of person the wicked are, sinners are. According to Psalm 28, sinners are not much more fun. Sinners are liars. The psalm says, don't drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. And then David describes the workers of evil here in verse 3 who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. This is the way of the wicked person. They will come up to you and pretend like they have good intentions and they will speak words that seem so nice. They'll say nice, flattering words. They'll act like they are for you, but their heart is plotting against you or their heart is plotting evil. Psalm 28 is one of those dangerous psalms because, I mean, who among us can say that we've ever, that we've never said a hypocritical word? Or have never said something that was nice, that belied the fact that our heart was in a different place? I mean, you, you know the type of conversation that I'm talking about. Oh, that happened to you? Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy for you. I'm just thrilled. Really, no, I'm really glad that happened. I'm so happy for you. 
This is the way that the wicked operate. This is the way that you and I have operated at times. Speaking nice words to somebody when our heart is evil. Saying nice, attractive words. Speaking peace outwardly, plotting evil inwardly. You can't build a relationship on that kind of behavior. Sin kills. And sin destroys relationships. You don't want to be swept away with the wicked because how can you trust what it is that the wicked is saying when they are regularly plotting evil? And you know, you know that their words don't match the heart. But there's another reason that we should not give ourselves to the way of the wicked, to the way of sin. Because it will bring judgment. Give to them according to their work, according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due rewards. That's what verses 4 and 5 say. Render them their due rewards. There's a reward that's due every person. And God will render that reward to every person. God is the one that stands in charge of all of history and receiving your due reward won't be able to be avoided, not by any of us. And there's one of two things that will happen to you on that great day when God makes all things new, when he brings an end to evil and death and to the devil. We'll stand before his judgment seat. And there's one of two things that will happen. Either you will stand in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus and receive what is due Jesus, or you'll stand opposed to Jesus and you'll receive what's due you. And this is the distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous in the course of this psalm. The righteous regard the works of the Lord. The righteous regard the works of the hands of the Lord. The wicked don't. The righteous rest and trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous know that when Jesus said, it is finished, it really was done. The righteous understand that in ourselves we're not righteous. The righteous understand that we are great sinners, but that Christ is a great Savior. The righteous are those that are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the righteous, therefore, will receive the due reward of Jesus. But to everyone who doesn't belong to Jesus... Well, you'll receive your due reward. And it's not something that you want. You don't want to stand before the Father trusting in the work of your own hands. I don't want to stand before God trusting in the work of my own hands. You want to stand in the presence of the Father washed in the blood of the Lamb. You want to stand in the presence of the Father wearing the robes of righteousness of Christ Jesus. You want... Christ's death and resurrection. It's what you need. Or else, you'll receive your due reward. You'll be given according to the work of your hands. You'll be torn down and not built up anymore. 
And David is saying here, all of this happens if God isn't listening to your prayer. That is why so much passion fills this psalm. That's why David is saying, hear me. I don't want to be swept away with the wicked. I don't want to go down to the pit. I want to belong to you. Hear me, God. Don't be deaf to me. And what's really beautiful about the psalm are these four verses that conclude it. Because the psalm doesn't just leave us wondering, well, I wonder if God does really hear. I wonder if God does really respond. I wonder if God does really listen when I call to him in prayer. Here's the way that the psalm ends. In praise to God because he does listen. Verse 6 and 7, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts. And with my song I give thanks to him. The rest of the psalm is shot through with this beautiful reality. God hears and God protects. God hears and God protects. After lifting up this request that God not be deaf and that God listen, after lifting with such passion the resolution of the psalm that's found here in verse 6, is a great and a beautiful relief. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard my pleas for mercy. If you have called out to the Lord Jesus for salvation, he hears and he responds. He saves all of those that come to him. All that the Father will give to me will come to me, and all who come to me I will never drive away. Those are the words of Jesus. You can stake your life on those. He hears you when you cry. When you cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness, he hears you. That's the promise that I can tell you because of the words of Psalm 28 this morning. When you cry out for mercy to God, he hears you and he responds. When you cry out for forgiveness, he forgives. God hears and God protects. And verse 7 says that the Lord is the strength of David and the shield of David, meaning that, that God is an active principle in the life of David, enabling him to go into battle and also a defensive principle. He not only gives him the strength to go out into battle, he gives him the shield to protect him. God surrounds with his protection and gives his strength. And because of all of this, David says he trusts in the Lord and he exalts in the Lord. He praises the Lord. He raises his song to the Lord. This is the only fitting response for all of us. Knowing that God hears and knowing that God protects, even amidst a trial, should exalt all of us, should elevate our spirit, should enable us to cry out in song and praise to the Lord God. Because he hears. Because he hears. And he hears in a saving way. Because verse 8 goes on, the Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge for his anointed. David here is the anointed. He was the king that was anointed to be the king of the people of Israel. And so he's saying, God's heard and God has saved me. God has heard and God has saved me. Jesus, the Messiah, could sing and pray and praise this same psalm, knowing that the Father 
was going to redeem him from the grave, that Jesus would not stay dead. And then David, knowing that he has been saved by the Lord, prays for salvation for his people. Those that have been saved don't want to keep salvation just to themselves. We don't want an exclusive club of one. I know I'm saved. We want it for a broader group. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage, David says. You've saved me. You're my saving refuge, Lord. Save your people. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. What a beautiful note to end this on. God, you are my saving refuge. Save your people. Shepherd them. Be to them like a shepherd. Lift them up and carry them in your arms We, your people, we are a frail, broken-down lamb, and we need our shepherd to pick us up and carry us. Our legs are broken. We can't walk. If you leave us, we'll go down to the pit. Pick us up and draw us near to yourself. It's sometimes said that Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. I actually have no problem with that designation whatsoever. I am weak. I need to be carried by God. I need this prayer. Lord, on my own, I'm simply not strong. I'm willing to admit that. I'm not strong enough. I need you to pick me up and carry me. And David trusts and knows of the tenderness of God here as he concludes the psalm, the shepherd of the people of Israel, of the people of God. God, would you just pick them up? Would you carry them and, and never let them go? Jesus is the good shepherd. And if you come to him, he hears. He will draw you into his arms and he will carry you forever. This is a reason for trust in the midst of trial. Because no matter what happens, no matter what has come your way in the course of the last 10 weeks, no matter what will come your way in the course of the next 10 and the 10 after that and the 10 after that, Jesus has got you. No one will ever be able to take you out of his hand. He is holding on to you and he will carry you forever. So won't you trust that God hears and God protects in the midst of whatever trial you're experiencing right now? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now we want to thank you that you hear and that you protect. Let us use our song to give thanks to you. Let us rejoice that you hold on to us forevermore. Let us let's just be filled with joy that we can rightly sing that you will hold us fast. We thank you that when we pray to you that, that you hear. 
We thank you that you are our strength and shield. And we rejoice that you are carrying us forever. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray all of this. Amen. I'm going to invite you, wherever you are right now, to stand as we hear the closing blessing of the Lord God. We'll conclude by singing this last verse of Psalm 28. We'll sing what it is that we've just read and heard preached, and we will go knowing that the blessing of the Lord God rests on us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.